When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back. This is episode 214, How Working in a Restaurant Helped Me as a Web Developer. Now, I'm not the one that worked in a restaurant. That's actually Mike's Mike's uh, origins, working origin story, I guess you could say. <laughs> but uh, this episode is going to be not just about the restaurant, but it's going to be about non, effectively non-web jobs, non-web dev jobs that we've had that seem to be completely irrelevant to to working web dev and some of the skills that we've picked up along the way. So I'll just give an example. I worked at a factory at one point. I've worked in other tech jobs. I've done a hybrid where I've worked in uh, like a part-time factory and then worked as a worked in tech as well. So from these sort of experiences, let's say that are that seem irrelevant, how they've helped us in our current positions as web developers, web agency runners, whatever you want to call it. So this sounds interesting to you. Do you want to support the show? You can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. And now Mike played a trick, played a trick on me here. I'm going to, I'm going to call him out now. Play a trick on me. So he tells me, Oh, I've got all my skills all written out and I don't have the show notes done. So would you mind writing your skills? So I'm like, all right. So I wrote two pretty detailed accounts. For two skills. And then Mike comes in, sneaks in here while we're having a meeting, <laughs> and he has one, two, three, four, five. He has five skills trying to show me up. I thought it was four, and he doubled me. He more than doubled me. It was intentional. That's what, see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? The disrespect? Anyway, <laughs> so I have two very detailed skill accounts, and Mike has five very poorly written <laughs> skill descriptions. But anyway, <clears throat> all that aside, my first one is actually something that I'm sure we all do, stare at the clock, and it's to do with boredom management. So for my old job at a factory, uh, a common pastime was boringly staring at or frequently checking the clock because you're effectively waiting to go home. You like show up and you're like, yay, and then you're kind of just waiting for that clock. To run out. Now, this would, of course, by association, draw the day out, which would give me the perception that the shift would just never end. It would just keep going and going and going nonstop because I'm just sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting. So while working in tech, there was less time to stare at the clock, right? But sometimes I'd reach the end of my task for the day and would also find myself checking the checking the little windows clock in the bottom right over and over again and i would just, it would have that same sort of draw out effect where it would seem like it was going to take forever to hit five or three or whatever so during the brief period that i worked in both tech and the factory at the same time i did factory part-time and working in tech during the week i decided in that time to try to manage my time a little better because i was seeing the differences in 
when I was working in the factory, I would stare at the clock quite a bit. In the tech job, I would not stare at the clock when I had something sort of pertinent right in front of me, but then I would start staring after. And so while I had this sort of, say, hybrid work experience with the two jobs and two different types of jobs effectively over or ongoing, I decided to let's fix my time management. Let's fix my boredom management. And so what I learned from my factory position, I learned from my factory position actually the most because it it was the most, say, guilty or I was the most guilty at that time of really looking at the clock or checking it a bunch. I always get my work done, but it's like you're just constantly checking over the shoulder. You know, you're you're sweeping something up over the shoulder. Oh, it's only been 10 minutes. You know, sweep a little more. Oh, it's only been five minutes. And so it's a real pain. So in my factory position, my layout of my day was this. I'd have an eight hour day and I'd sometimes do overtime. But let's just say for the sake of this, uh, an eight hour day. And in that time, I'd have a 10 minute break at two hours in. Then at four hours in, I'd have a 20 minute lunch. Then another two hours. So at this point, six hours in, I'd have a 10 minute lunch or sorry, 10 minute break. And then I would have the end of the day. Another two hours goes by and, and I leave. So this divided the day up into various little things and it would break up the same monotony or just break up the task I was doing and or sometimes just give me a physical break if it was something that was physically demanding. The thing is, is that these sort of consistent breaks and these consistent lunches would also kind of make me wait for them. I'd start checking the clock for each of these breaks and each of these different like lunches and breaks and time off effectively in the middle of the workday. So what I started doing was I started task-based checking and pushing these times back. So just like I mentioned with the tech job where I would basically be busy, not checking the clock when I'm busy doing a task, and then I'd start checking after, I kind of took a little bit of that and I thought, all right, I'm going to do something that takes me around two hours. So I'm given this big task, and as we all know, we don't break it into little things. And it's like, okay, I'm supposed to sweep this, I'm supposed to like put chemical on this, cleaning chemical on this. Then I'm supposed to rinse it. And there's like a whole procedure. So I'm like, okay, the sweeping part is going to take me around two hours. So I'm not going to check the clock for, for that whole two hours. I'm just going to focus on the sweeping. Just go, go, go. Just keep working, keep working, keep working. And I'm not going to check the clock for that entire time until the sweeping is complete. Then I check the clock after that. And then I would take the appropriate break after that task. Because this task, like I said, I budgeted two hours. It probably took me two hours. And now I haven't checked the clock and 25% of my shift time is gone and I've completed something. Now, another approach that I've taken, so like that, that's one sort of basic approach, but then I evolved it near the end of me working at this factory was I started pushing back the actual breaks and actually a lot of the time I'd push back lunch. So lunch marked the halfway point for the shift, right? Four hours in, take 20 minutes and it broke up the day. Right. The factory's hot in the summer, especially. So it had some AC in the break room. There was a TV playing. There's conversation with people that, you know, if they're in there at that time. And then obviously you're eating some food. So you're sort of recharging and you're sitting down, you're relaxing. So what I started doing was I started coming back from my first break. So let's say I do that sweeping example, do the sweeping example. Two hours pass. Look at the clock. Hey, look at the time. So I go take 10 minute break. I come back from that sweeping thing and I have another effectively two hours, approximately two hours, but obviously it's been 10 minutes. So I'm one hour and 50 minutes. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to budget about two hours for something else. But what I started doing was I started not doing that. I started budgeting something that was just sort of big. So I would decide and be like, okay, 
I'm going to budget for something that is absolute bare minimum two hours, but it might be three. It might be two and a half. It might be something like that. Then I would do the same thing. Do that task until completion, not check the clock. And then I check the clock once that's done. Then I'd look and it's like, whoa, you know, I'm supposed to have, let's say, lunch at noon and it's one or it's one thirty sometimes or it's twelve thirty anywhere in there. Then I still go to the break room, go take a break for 20 minutes, go take my lunch for 20 minutes. And now. Not 50 percent, like or rather less than 50 percent of my shift is, is remaining. In the normal sort of layout where I'm looking at the clock, constantly looking at the clock, it's like at 25%, I'm getting a break, 50%, I'm taking a lunch, 75%, I'm taking a break, and then I'm going home. This really broke up the day because what I'm doing is it's like, okay, I've, I have a, I have a completion. Like I have, a, I have something that I've, I'm done. It's like I have a win, if you will. I've completed this big thing. I don't have to worry about this. Now I'm done it. Now it's like, woo, all right, let's go take a break. And then when I come back, maybe there's only two hours left in the shift. Like maybe sometimes I'll even completely miss my last break. Maybe I could take that last break in the last hour and really accelerate things. And this gives me the ability to, A, complete my tasks in a timely manner because I'm really sort of head down doing the task at hand. But it also allowed me to not keep checking the clock and allowed me to break up the day in such a way that I would be like, man, I'm I'm going to. I'm done my lunch. I have only three hours left. This is great. And so that's how I started dealing with boredom management. I would take that exact same concept and apply that into work where instead of me constantly looking at the clock being like, man, is it five? Can I do this? Can I do that? Instead of me doing that, anything that was time-based, I would put in my calendar, put an alarm on it, whatever, something that would remind me so that I wouldn't miss it. But then I would head down. So I'd put my head down and be like, okay, I'm going to just work on a task. And that task is going to be whatever, however many hours. And it would, and then I just wouldn't check the clock for that whole time, whole time, whole time. The little pings would show up like, Hey, you know, you need to have that call. You need to have this and that. And that would interrupt me, you know, break my day up, whatever. But once I'm done that task interrupted or not, once I'm done that task, it's like, okay, great. I've completed this thing. You know, that's a win. Now I'm going to go grab a coffee. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. And it allows me to, to have something effectively to show for it. And this actually goes into my next skill too, but have something to show for it where if a manager or something says, Hey man, like what have you been doing? Be like, Oh, I just finished this. And I'm able to say that. I'm not just be able to say I'm working on this. It's like, Oh, I, I've just finished this task. It's great to say that to a manager and be like, Oh, great. Like you're, you're moving along effectively. And then this is breaking up my day without staring at the clock. You know what? Like as soon as you said staring at the clock, I realized that ever since I stopped working at a restaurant or like, you know, the, the other jobs that I was doing, I kind of stopped staring at the clock and I feel like that's super, <laughs> that's super amazing. It's some, some, like a huge part of the job that we're doing right now, or at least that I'm doing right now is a lot of it is like, it's almost reverse where I look at the clock and I'm like, Oh damn, I wish I had more hours in the day to do it because a lot of what I'm doing right now is yes, it's for clients, it's for contracts, but a lot of it is also for ourselves with like HTML, the things. And honestly, a lot like, the content creation stuff, the Twitter stuff, all of that is fun to do. Like, I really like doing that part and I wish I had more time to do it. Now, obviously, I know that I shouldn't be doing, you know, 24 hours of work or 12 hours or even like 15 hours of work or 12 hours of work constantly. So I do take breaks and I do stop my day at some point. Right. But it's usually like almost reluctantly. 
because of the fact that there's so many other things that I could be doing that are actually pretty fun or good parts of my job. So I'm almost, I'm kind of privileged in a sense. I just realized that I don't worry about the boredom management as much or staring at the clock as much as I used to or almost nothing. The other part of this that really was interesting to me is like, I kind of do what you're doing right now with the breaking up of the day regardless. And I think it's, I think it is a psychological thing that helps you that helps you balance out like and stay focused and makes the day go by a little bit better and faster and more fun too, because you kind of front load everything. You do everything at the start of the day and uh, you build up to it. And sometimes I do take lunch late, like one to one, 2 PM. And then you only have like a few hours left in the day uh, to do everything else. And I, what I usually do is I use that second period, that second half of the day, or usually it's not even a half. It's like a quarter, uh, to set up success for the next day. So I stop focusing on task completion. I start focusing on how do I, you know, set up my environment for this task for tomorrow to make it like a really easy start to my day. How do I answer, like, do I answer all these emails so that tomorrow in the morning, I don't have to answer those emails. I can just focus on that big task that I have assigned. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I do this a little bit inherently. Maybe it is because of the fact that I was a time, like I I used to look at the clock all the freaking time just waiting for the day to go by. Uh, so maybe at the back of my mind, I was doing that because of this. The thing too, with that is that if you had, I would imagine if you had a day in which was really light, like you're working for a contract for somebody else and you like your main goal that day was to get some sort of toggle working, you get the toggle working and you thought it was going to take you six hours and only takes you two hours. Um, if you're obligated for whatever reason to work for that person for six hours, I mean, the once time becomes a factor in the work, I think time becomes a factor, if that makes sense. It becomes something that you consider. It becomes a consideration in your thought process. But with us right now, it's like, hey, you know, someone's called or someone's, you know, hired us in uh, to do something. We've completed said job. I mean, I could do a little more, I could do a little less, but I've completed that thing. Now I can go on to something else that's on the list, like HTML of things, or I could just take a break. It's not something where I have to be sitting there. Like time in terms of deadlines is a factor. But time in terms of I must sit here for eight hours is no longer a specific thing for us, which we're really lucky with. Like really lucky to have that luxury. And I think that's where it comes in because I would have even like I, I'd enjoy what I'm doing in the office, but there'd be days where I complete what I was going to do super early and I can't just walk out of there. And it's sort of like, man, I'm kind of done my work for the day and it would be sweet to go home like an extra two hours early. But I can't do that because you're going to look weird in the office or there's been a, there's a contract contractual uh, contractual. If I can say that obligation. And it, you can't just take off or you're, ha- or you're covering a shift for somebody or what have you. And you can't just take off. And that's extremely true with factory work where they literally – one of the big things in your job is like you do this position and you're there for 12 hours. Like it's a part of almost the position name where the hours actually make sense because they need coverage for say 24 hours. So they need three shifts of eight or th- two shifts of 12. And when time becomes a factor, it becomes a consideration. My next thing here is about time as well, and that is that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So I've heard this 
of course. I'm sure we've all heard it from a bunch of movies and people writing it and people just saying it and stuff like that. We've all been introduced to this, or most of us have been introduced to that statement. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast, or at least from my experience. And we've all been introduced to the idea of taking a large problem, breaking it up into smaller tasks to make the situation more manageable, and then working on the smaller parts to culminate to the solution. We've all sort of, for the most part, seen that, where you have this huge problem, like, we're going to make the app Pokemon Go, let's say, for example. We're going to make that. And you're like, holy, there's GPS, there's graphics, there's this is impossible. So you break that into separate things where this person works on GPS and even the GPS gets broken into separate things. And this person's working on graphics, but that gets broken up into this person's working on characters and this person's working on the Pokemon. This person's working on the numbering system. This person's working on the UI, whatever. You break up these big sort of seemingly impossible, immountable, if that's a word, um, insurmountable is what I meant to say, insurmountable task. And you break that into separate problems. And then as, as such, you break it into tasks to effectively d- complete those little problems, fix up those problems, have solutions for them. So while this method is absolutely valid and I use it all the time with when it comes to project management, sometimes, and this is a personal thing, and I'm sure other people have this too, I will still get stuck up on that immense task where I get start looking at it and going, Oh boy, like, like, here we go. I'm doing this tiny GPS thing. And whereas sure, that's a little win. The team needs it or I need it and the project needs it. And that's really great. Uh, how is this all going to come together? Like, and I start getting kind of fi- like a little fixated on it. I kind of pause, almost start procrastinating reviewing the scale of the document, reviewing that design document, worrying about how little I've done or how little the team – I can't speak today, but how little the team has done together on it and how much like has culminated, how much work is done. And I start getting anxiety about the whole thing. And so it starts to affect my work and starts to slow me down. Now, to, to combat that, I actually pull a skill – from a skill that I learned from my side project, which is my other podcast, Day One Patch Podcast or Day One Patch Media. So at DOPM, Day One Patch Media, even though it's a hobby, it's not monetized, whatever, right? There are still some big tasks that need to be done. We need to produce an episode. We need to actually record the thing. Then we got to edit it. We got to publish. There's multiple people. So we got to figure out how to record it. Are we remote? Are we in person? All kinds of stuff. And then we need to market the episodes a little bit after they're put out. Now, we're not some big hotshot podcast. You don't have hundreds upon thousands of downloads or anything like that. But we've been doing this for a number of years, and it is a thing that we do every week, and it has to be done. So there's quite a bit of stuff that has to be done. I don't want to think about all the stuff that has to be done. I just kind of take it in stride, right? Those small individual tasks. But once again... If you were to consider that big thing where you're like, oh my God, like even just after the podcast is done, we got to figure out where to upload it. You got to SEO it. You got to do this and that. And that anxiety starts to creep back in. So what I, what, what we would actually start doing is we take these big tasks and sometimes other content creation other than the podcast too. We take these big tasks and we say, okay, let, let's cut out the procrastination. Let's cut out the worry, you know, we're going to break it into separate little tasks, just like our project management. But what I want to do is I just want to work toward a presentable goal. So I'm still going to take a task like producing the podcast, and I'm still going to take 
So let's say the podcast needs to be made. One of the main steps is producing. The producing requires a document with all of our sources that we may put in. So my job might be for that day to have three articles a day. But instead of me going in and putting in the three articles and sort of giving myself a check mark, I try to get something to the point where it's presentable. That's not to say I'm rushing it all in one day, but I try to get a result. So what I'm trying to work toward is I try to work toward the production document being completed. This comes back to that thing where it's great to say to Amanda, I've just finished something. This is the same thing here. Where, sure, my to-do and my project management and my task management is still flagging me saying, do three articles today. I do the three articles and I do the little check. But I try not to think about the big picture. What I do is I put my head down and I my, my big picture becomes the next presentable step, which usually culminates many of the small tasks. So let's say over the week, day before we actually record the episode production document, which I normally don't do, but in this example, I am. I will put out that production document and I give it to everybody and say, okay, production document is ready to go. That is a presentable task that is done. It's it's a presentable end goal. It's not just, hey, guys, I've I've put three articles, like three links in there. It's, hey, guys, I've completed, I've completed the production step. The production step is is done. Now, what I would, what I want to sort of lay out here is how I would, let's say, let's say how I like would work on something like this. So I'm going to give you a, the, the most recent example because I don't, it sounds like I'm just rushing through things and that's not, that's not what's happening. So I just built out the day one patch media website, day one shameless self plug. And I recently did this because I needed to learn Elementor, this and that and the other thing. But it took me weeks of procrastination to get to this thing because even though it's a it's a project for a side a side thing that I'm doing, it's for a hobby, it's still a big thing. You have to determine the stack, you got to determine the features, you got to make the design, then you got to get the hosting, you got to actually build the thing, you got to test it, you got to give access to the people that are not going to be working on the actual technical side of the thing. You have to put it out there, you have to do iterative testing. It's a big it's a big thing. Even though it's just, you know, nothing super serious where it's for some mega corporation and it's a huge contract where everything's riding on it, it's still a big task. And so I procrastinated for weeks on end trying to figure out the stack and trying to figure out all these little things. And I eventually just implemented this slow is smooth and smooth is fast implement method. And so this is what I did. I completed the designs just one page at a time. This comes back to that presentable idea. So I think I wanted to make three or four page types, and I was just making those on in Figma. I was actually learning Figma at the time, too, so that's a, it was a whole thing, too. But I decided to complete the designs one at a time. I didn't really show people partial designs. I didn't really show people too much of the partial things. I think maybe once or twice I did if someone asked me. But for the most part, I did one page at a time. I worked toward a presentable goal. And in that presentable goal, there were smaller tasks like, Get the slider done, uh, figure out how to do this particular thing in Figma, get the iconography working properly, get an, uh, an iconography plugin, stuff like that. Those are little completable tasks that surely were checked off on my to-do list, but my goal in my head is to get that page done. So one page at a time, I'd get a page done, send it out for feedback, get another page done, send it out for feedback, get a page done, whatever, right? Now I've done all the designs. All the designs are complete. 
And then I said, okay, well, I need to use, I need to learn Elementor uh, slash Elementor Pro for work. We have a project that's coming up that may use it. So I was like, okay, the heck with it. My stack effectively, if you will, is I'm going to use WordPress with Elementor Pro. And instead of me sitting there procrastinating and thinking about all the bad things that could happen about choosing different stack, I just went right for it. And now my goal is to make the website presentable. So instead of trying to figure out, you know, who is trying to, is going to pay for Elementor Pro, I just, I just paid for it. Instead of me going to the guys and being like, Hey, like, you know, we need to divvy this up. Like, is this okay? Have like two or three days of conversation, wait for the next episode so we can all be on a call or all in person to talk to each other. That's it. My goal is I want this, I want this dang website in some sort of presentable state. I want like a couple of these pages done, whatever that presentable goal is. And so I just go in. Elementor Pro is not overly expensive, at least for my budget. I really didn't care. And I just bought it. That's two or three days cut right off there. Because I'm working toward this presentable goal. Then I go in and it's like, okay, let's go. And I didn't constantly stop every time I, I, I made a new design. Every time I made a new page and it was actually like good, I would sometimes send it out. But my goal again was to get this website to be in an MVP state. So I just kept going and going and going and going. And I, I minimized the outside feedback and I minimized that type of stuff during this process. Learning how to use the theme builder, learning how Elementor puts things together and so on. These are all small attainable tasks that I'm checking off effectively in my to-do, but I'm working toward that. Okay, I want that MVP. I want that MVP. I want that MVP. And the result was the very first version of the site went live in just one and a half to two weeks, which I thought was pretty good considering I was new to Figma, (laughs) new to Figma, new to Elementor. New to, not new to WordPress, but had been a while since I set up something brand new in WordPress. Mostly we inherit stuff. Set up something brand new in WordPress. New really in a lot of areas and one and a half to two weeks. Then I start going in and go, okay, now I can go get everyone's feedback on different pages and this and that. And I did reach out here and there for some feedback like, hey, is this title looking a little weird? Stuff like that. That's up to my own discretion. But my, but the thing is, is, is that the, the whole, um, slow is smooth and smooth as fast is, is that I just put my head down and said, I'm going to work on this page. I'm going to work on these, on this theme. I'm going to work on Elementor and I'm going to work toward this goal. I don't want to sit there and think about the behemoth of a task of making the site, designing the site, doing all that, and then running the site after. Keep all that out of my mind. And I'm just going right toward the presentable goal. I didn't get a lot of interruptions with the feedback. I didn't get a lot of that. And then at the end, I present it to everybody and then they can tell me what they want changed. Okay. We want to have this change. We want to have that change. We want to have this. It, it saves, it saved me tons of time, tons and like tons of time, tons of days, tons of back and forth because I might send out a feedback message on Wednesday at noon thinking everyone's going to be probably in the office or whatever and can probably answer within by the end of the day only to find out that no one's around and or someone's on vacation. And now I'm sitting there waiting, waiting, waiting and then. You know, it's just, it's a, it's a mess. So I'm going to work toward that attainable goal, but here's the key. And I want to be clear because it sounds like I'm rushing this stuff. I did not rush this. I just did not focus on the massive undertaking of all the things like the design, the stack and blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into it. I just put my head down and just worked on the presentable goal that I had. I'm going to work on these designs. Good. I'm going to work on this. Good. Get the feedback. Okay. I'm going to now work on this website into an MVP to get it into an MVP state with this stack. Good. Okay. Go. 
I wasn't messing around. I wasn't fumbling with feedback. I wasn't doing all kinds of stuff. I wasn't like sitting there thinking for days on end, well, there's five plugins that could do this for me. Which one do I use? Did a little research and just, just pump it out. I can always change that later. I just head down and go. And that's ultimately what I was doing. I wasn't stressing myself out. I wasn't working 15 hour days. I wasn't working 12 hour days. I just did it. Got it done quick. And often some of the days in sort of hours dedicated to this project, because we obviously have other stuff going on, but in hours dedicated to this project, some of the days were like two to four hours. Not a big deal. Some of the days were the full eight. Some of the days I'd work in the evening. Some of the days would be this and that. But the point is, is that I'm just working toward the goal and I'm not worrying about the deadline. I'm not worrying about how fast I'm going. I'm just working and just doing it. And I think that this actually, this personally helps, would help me with any project that has an actual deadline. Obviously, this is like a hobby project, didn't have a specific deadline. But the thing is, is like, you know, people set deadlines all the time and then everyone hyper fixates on it. Everyone panics about this deadline. Oh my God, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's like, yeah, sometimes the deadline has to be moved. Sometimes you have to talk to that manager and make those difficult calls. Absolutely. But the deadline is something that you didn't set and you can only work as fast as you're going to work. And by you adding in worry about the deadline to your work, you're slowing, at least in my experience, you're slowing down your work. If you just work on something, go and work on it and, and work on it as smoothly as you can. That that doesn't mean you're not going to hit bumps in the road, but the work continues. You just keep trucking on at the same pace. Just go, 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 go. Hit bumps in the road, but you just keep going. Troubleshoot, get it working, get keep going and just keep going. I think you'll be amazed, at least I am amazed at how much actually gets done when you don't have roadblocks and you work towards something presentable and how good it feels to say, even though there's going to be feedback and this has to change. I've completed this MVP. I've completed these designs. Getting things that are presentable really helps me kind of through that deadline anxiety and the overarching too big of a mega task idea. This is a big one. Um, I think I think a, a great way to put it is taking ownership of a project, really. Uh, and it's something that I've learned over the years as well, being a very key skill for someone going into a developer job. Let's say you're a junior developer in a new company and you go through the backlog and like the, you're, you're tasked to go through the backlog or maybe just on your off time, you go through the backlog of what the project you're working on has and wants to be created. A very key sign of a good, like maybe not good developer, but good team member is a better idea is someone that can take a look through the backlog, find a, find a task from the backlog, contact all the stakeholders of that task, so everyone, like people that created the task, people that the task could affect, and push that task to completion without being bogged down by approvals by a million different departments, without being bogged down by having to, you know, wait for two weeks for someone to be off vacation. Just do, doing putting your best foot forward breaking the task up into smaller chunks, doing that task one at a time and having something to show the stakeholders at some point in a, in a near future. Because really like a lot of developers will get into a job and then sit back and wait for stuff to come to them. And then like they'll purposely sit there 
in in a blocked position because they know that they can because you know x person is on vacation they don't want to move forward with this and some tasks absolutely you can't move forward because someone's on vacation but in reality like matt's saying even if you don't have all the answers done all the answers answered right away you can still do something on that task you can still put your best foot forward because a lot of the times, first of all, your best foot forward might be it, might be the thing that everyone w- w- has been wanting. But the other thing that can happen is, let's say there is a deadline for this task or whatever. When you have, when they have something in front of them and they see that, hey, okay, this is something that you can do in a couple of weeks, but we want this to be even better. They could extend that deadline and give you the creative control to make it even better. So there's a lot of great things that can happen from taking ownership of a task. And trust me, that's probably the number one way you can move up in a company is by being the person that could just take a task from backlog to completion. I wouldn't say on your own, but driven by you. And again, that's what I see this as being, right, Matt? Like you, you went into the DLPM website and yeah, there's a bunch of stakeholders, all of the other DLPM members, but you're just like, screw it. Like I know what's best for this right now. Yes, it could be, you know, I could get some feedback and every single stage of this, but I know what's best. I'm going to take this to the end and I'm going to get the feedback and I'm going to iterate on it as, as I need to. And really that's, that's something that. You can only learn by being in the position to see what it's done. Like you can see other people doing it or you can see how effective it is by just doing it yourself. It's not something that's ever taught to you. No one's teaching you to take ownership of a task. It's something that, again, I'm telling you right now is a really big thing. But in reality, not many people will tell you this. And it's something that is really, really eye-opening. It's one of the first things that I do when I do like join a new company or join a contract is like I look at their backlog especially when I'm just sitting there and doing nothing. And I try to find a task that I can take from start to finish. And that, that'll show what kind of developer you are. That That's the thing. Like, I think that might be the really big thing too. Like you're saying, take a task to completion is that a lot of the time when you get that motivation to do a task, it's not something tiny, like one of those little tiny tasks that were divided up. It's not something as small, I'm sure, as oh, you know, make sure it's five pixels on the left and not four and a half. It's usually when you get the when you get the motivation to clear something out of that backlog, it's something like, hey, you know, we hit a roadblock with uh, making our photo gallery instead of just content blocks that are rectangles that are lined up in rows and columns. We want a collage where some of the stuff is in portrait, some of the stuff is in this and it's like this. I call it a seamless collage where there's just little tiny, little tiny bits of margin in between the the pieces, but it's like a block of different shape, different sized images. You hit that roadblock, but if you go and you push that ticket to that point where you make this collage, sure, your feedback might be that, hey, we want more rectangular ones. We want more vertical ones. But think about how much feedback and time wasted by association you've missed out on there. You've missed out on people saying, well, should we do more rectangles? Should there be squares? Should there be letterboxing on the images? Should there be borders? You're going to have those conversations and it's just going to take so long. But instead, you just went ahead, did it, and now you have something. And it's a presentable thing that as long as you effectively know what you're doing, 
the public at large, which is most what, what most websites go to is to the public, they're not going to be like, oh, man, like, what is this? You know, what is this crap? Like, this doesn't work. They're going to just think nothing of it. And all those internal discussions that you're having about the nitty gritty being like, well, does it should it have blue text, not light blue text? What's going on here? Even if someone is effectively outraged to an extent, it's sort of like you're getting all that feedback at the very end. You have this presentable product and you've probably skipped like 30 questions and you've reduced it down to like 10. That's the way I I personally see it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a really good skill to learn. But with that, let's move on to my skills because uh, this actually this episode actually came from just a random thought that I was having, and I kind of put it into writing on a Twitter thread. Uh, I worked as a line cook for seven years before becoming a web developer, or before before starting the business that like Digital Dynasty Design with Matt. Uh, all throughout high school, all throughout college and university, I was a line cook at a restaurant. And looking back on it, I I started to realize that, hey, some of the skills that I learned there, I am actually applying in my current job. And it doesn't make sense because like, what does a line cook have to do with a developer, right? But it's not like technical. Obviously, I didn't learn how to code HTML in the kitchen. Like that's just not, obviously not, not that. But soft skill wise and just inherent skills that you learn in terms of workplace, those things are for sure transferable. And I wanted to point this out because I know a lot of people are in the process of switching careers. Maybe you were in a factory, maybe you were a technician, maybe you were a plumber, whatever it is. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I have to start a completely zero and go into, you know, web development. And from a skills set, perspective, like actually like coding, technically, yes. But from a perspective of like other other skills outside of coding, which really, I think, make up like 50% of the job or even more sometimes, depending on what kind of job you're at. Like if you're a manager, obviously, you're going to be managing a lot more than coding. Those skills are still relevant from all your other experiences. So it's important to realize that you're not starting from zero. You're going to have a base that you can work from especially in a work environment, like an office environment or a management environment. And I just want to point out what some of the things that I've perceived, like I perceive that actually I learned from the line, from the kitchen. First thing here is collaboration and teamwork. On a line, like in a kitchen, it's super important that everyone communicates constantly and everyone is in sync on a consistent basis because how it works is on a line, there an order comes in for like, let's say a chicken parm, right? There's a couple different stations. So a couple different people potentially that make up a chicken parm. Someone has to cook the pasta noodles. Someone has to bread and cook the chicken, right? And then someone has to plate it potentially. And depending on if there's like cheesy bread, someone has to put the cheesy bread in the oven. A lot of times in a line, especially a busy time, those come from like each each one of those will come from a different station. And the idea is when you put up food, it has to go up all at the same time. So the pasta noodles have to be done at the same time as the chicken that have to be done at the same time as the cheesy bread. Because if you if it sits there and cools down or sits under the heat lamps, it will die essentially like you'll have to remake it. And then you have other plates as well. So let's say someone orders a chicken parm, someone orders a steak, someone orders uh Buffalo chicken wing, buffalo chicken sandwich or whatever. All of those actually have to go up at the same time as well. 
So again, you're talking about multiple people, multiple different stations, all working together all the time. If you're not talking during that time, you're done. If you're not able to turn to the person beside you and say, hey, I need help with this. Hey, I need, do do you have that? Can I help you there? You're done. It's just not going to work. Like the the line is not going to work and you're going to sink. So while I was working there, obviously throughout my time, I learned those skills. Initially, I wasn't very good at it. And the more I failed, the better I got and the more I could communicate. But by the end of it, you're constantly talking. Like you're never, you're essentially never not talking during these, like, especially the dinner rush, you're constantly like, when you're doing this, you're moving over there, you're telling them that you did this and someone's yelling at you to get that, like, you're in a constant mode of conversation and collaboration with with the team. So it's a really important skill because, yes, it's not as extreme on a development project. You're not constantly yelling at each other to get the food up at the same time. But on a development project, you break up your tasks, right? You break up your, your project into multiple different things. Some rely on each other. Some don't. Some can work, be worked collaboratively. Some can be worked synchronously, asynchronously. All these tasks are laid out to, to like from start to finish to finish a project, like a website. If you're able to effectively communicate with the team and not over ask and not under ask and, and just have a good way to answer questions and ask questions, that process of start to finish will come go much smoother. If you're not good, if you're not able to turn to your team member or go on Slack and ask your team member a question and you're frustrated and you, you only work in a silo, you're going to take a long time on a task that might be blocking someone else. So it's important to know that, hey, I'll work on this, but if, if I get stuck, I need to ask. And it's also important to know that other people might be going through the same thing and might ask you, and you need to respond in a timely manner as well. So again, that essence of collaboration and teamwork for sure transferred over for me from the kitchen to my web developer job. Next thing here. Well, one thing I was going to actually say, Mm -hmm. sorry, I was on mute and I'm a fool because I was talking. But um, one thing I was actually going to say there is there like teamwork Teamwork is is teamwork is something that I think they attempt to teach you in the classroom. And I would say it's almost like unsuccessful. There's nothing like learning on the job in general, as a lot of people will say. But the teamwork aspect, if you do work in a team or with other teams, with other people, is like you you so rapidly learn how to work in a team when you're actually there when you're actually on a team and not just in little group projects. And it's, it's incredible, like how much it, how much your persona, I would say, and like, you can, you know, kind of correct me if I'm wrong here, Mike, but how much in my experience, my persona changed to approaching different people where some people are very, um, let's say, let's say that, let's just say the truth. They're stubborn. They're not going to listen. And there's been times where something as simple as I'm working in the factory, I'm working in the sanitation department. The last week was a pain in the ass. There was a whole bunch of literally muffin crumbs everywhere. And it took us forever to sweep them up because they were all matted down by water. So I went and grabbed a water vac, even though it's not on the sheet and even though it's not necessarily required, I'm allowed to do so. And I go and I do it. My partner at the time is saying, that's, that's foolish. That's like, like, don't do it. And I just literally was like, yeah, yeah. And just had to do it. 
even though there's a point of contention there, the instant he saw that it was way faster, he even told me, oh, that's great. That's great. That's good. Whereas not being able to be flexible and always say always backing down or always being the person fighting is a problem. And those that teamwork skill learned either in tech, out of tech, wherever is so like is so crucial because it it's the same with us, even with our clients, even though they're not, quote unquote, technical or, or even though even though they're not technical, but more, more importantly, even though they're not colleagues, they're not like our manager. They're not a non-technical manager, although they do give us stuff to do. We have to learn to work with them and we work with each of them differently. I work with one guy way differently than another. One guy calls and calls and calls like 40 times a day. I don't care if I miss 15 of his calls because he calls so many times. But another person might call once and only when there's a major problem. Well, if I miss that call, I better call that back. You treat people differently. And that's really only there when you learn that collaborative teamwork stuff in the field. Absolutely. A lot of people suffer from the boy who cried wolf syndrome, and uh, it can affect them in a negative way for sure. I, I agree there too. Next thing here is being a leader. So the last couple years, two to three years, I can't remember now, I spent in the kitchen. I was the person at the pass calling the chits in the kitchen. So what that means is there's a essentially a receipt machine that that prints out orders and you rip off the order, look at it and call out what's on it and what needs to be started and what needs to be waited on and stuff like that to the rest of the team. So if there's like five or six people in the kitchen, uh, you have a bunch of orders that need to be delegated and you're in charge of the timing. You're in charge of making sure that everyone has what they need and uh, eventually providing support if needed. So if someone is in the weeds, you need to either move someone else over there. Essentially, you're running the entire line. That's the point of the person in the, at the pass or the person that's calling the chits. Doing this taught me a ton because obviously, just like with everything that you start off not being very good at it, you start off with a lot of issues. You start off not being able to communicate. You start off being too soft. You start off being too hard, whatever it is. And eventually, you learn how each and every person on the line responds differently to your to the type of ordering that you do and you you're able to elevate people to be able to perform better by responding and acting and talking to them the way that they need to be talked to and i think the most important thing i learned during that time is how to help the line my team actually succeed and like finish finish the night without any major disasters. So I needed to make sure that everyone had what they needed. My goal, my primary focus wasn't, hey, let me call these chits and, you know, blame everyone for doing poorly. My goal was to make sure that, hey, the fry cook had all the stuff that he needed. And if he doesn't, then I need to make sure that I can either back him up or back or bring someone else to back them up and et cetera down the entire line. If the stake, if the stakes aren't being done well, I need to be ready to make the decision to change someone to that station so that they can do well. Like all these things are happening. And the only purpose is not to bring anyone down and not to, uh, not to be demanding. The only purpose is to make sure that we can all finish as a team. That's it. And this really helped a lot during the process of leading a team of developers. Because again, it's different, 100% different. You're not yelling at anyone about finishing chits. You're not all working on a line. Sure. 
But in the sense of, hey, I want to make sure that my team succeeds and I will do anything to to get there. So I will make sure that they have everything they need to do their job effectively. That is the mindset I take when I'm leading a team. It's not to delegate. It's not to give out orders. That's part of it a little bit. But the main thing is, is I need to make sure that every day that they're not blocked by something that I could help them with. That's my main focus as for as being a leader. And that's what I 100% learned as a line cook calling the pass. Next thing here is focus. Focus is a really big one that I still sometimes struggle with, but I kind of, I try to look back at all my other experiences at when I was cooking on the line. And it does help for sure. When you're a line cook, you're working eight hour shifts, 12 hour shifts, whatever it is. A lot of what you're doing is creating food over and over again or and, and doing it in a way that's both fast and good because a, a customer will usually send their food back if it's bad. And the other thing is, is that you need to make sure your food is cooked through. Like if I'm cooking chicken, that's a health hazard if I'm not focused. So I learned early on how to kind of just zone in and get – get food out at a, in a good, comfortable rate that's in decent quality, right? That had to be – that. that's something – that's a skill that I had to learn. Otherwise, I would not make it as a cook. There's just no way because you just got to be constantly like laser focused, especially during a dinner rush. And the way this applies to the job, like the, to web development right now is the same thing. When you're finishing a task, when you're trying to – when you're working on tasks, you need to be able to kind of laser in – and work on that task for however long it takes to get it done. Sometimes it's three hours, sometimes it's one hour, whatever it is. And I think that my skills when I was working on the line definitely did transfer over in the ability to just sit there, especially once I get going. I can just work and work and work on the same task until it's done to a good level of completion. I'm not trying to make things perfect. That's not what I'm going for. That's not what focus is about. I'm trying to get things done properly and get things finished and solve hard problems and troubleshoot and make sure that I'm not, you know, getting distracted as much because again, focus is all about working on a task at hand, at the task on hand. And you can't, you can't, uh, it's really difficult to put this into words, but like, again, in a kitchen, <laughs> it was sink or swim mentality. So if you could not focus, if you had, if you were looking all, all over the place all the time, you wouldn't last. So it's a skill that I had to work on and I had to get better at. And that's definitely helped me in development. The thing with focus too is I, I, try, I recall a story actually with uh, one of our, one of our professors and he was saying that, you know, he was an embedded professor, an embedded uh, programmer, excuse me, and he worked for a company. He wasn't just a teacher. And he said something like, you know, you have to you have to be, uh, you know, respect uh, respectful of even if you're a junior dev and you need help or if you're a manager or whatever and you need some sort of information that the unspoken rule in the office was if someone has their headphones on. And there isn't like the one ear thing going on where they got one ear open, one ear or not, and they have the headphones fully on or they look like they're really focused that unless it's an absolute emergency, you effectively won't tap them on the shoulder. You'll just leave them to their own devices until later. That was something that he said and it and it kind of 
to me anyway, solidifies the, the, the point that Mike is saying where, you know, focus isn't something that's just, at least in my experience, like something that you can just do necessarily. It's almost like a skill you have to practice. And so when Mike was saying he sort of got used to kind of effectively putting his head down and just work and work and work and work for a long period of time, it's the same thing here where, you know, it, it's difficult to sit down and focus on something. It's really exciting when you have learned enough skills to be able to make your first side project for your portfolio, let's say, and you're, you want to sit down, you want to do it. But every time you sit down, you find yourself doing something else. You find yourself, find yourself doing something, even something else that's useful. Like, Oh, I guess I should go vacuum this or, Oh, I guess I should do this. Or I guess I should do that. And doing little things here and here and there is fine as a motivator. If you want a bit of a icebreaker, but there comes a point where you really have to try to, uh, integrate yourself or really sort of focus on what you're doing. And by exercising that skill of focusing, in my experience, it gets better with time. It's something that can be literally practiced and learned. Whereas when I have a a good amount of time, for whatever reason, if I'm sort of scatterbrained because there's so much going on, I find that I've lost a bit of my focus skill and I can't really focus. But then when I started the DOPM project, start the DOPM project, a little bit of trouble focusing, lock it in, finally kind of get into it. Then I'm just there. The two, three, four, five, whatever hours I'm working on it, I'm just there and I'm really kind of banging stuff out. And so I think it's really important to realize that if you are having trouble focusing, I think it's not just something that's a mental state, although I'm not a doctor. So, you know, ask a professional that. But in my experience, it's a skill that needs to be practiced and constantly. If you need focus, which you probably do. Yeah, it's, I think you're 100% right. It needs to be practiced and I sometimes lose it. I 100% sometimes lose it. And again, it sometimes is one of those things where I need to look back at when I could focus and what was happening at that time and uh, try to emulate that environment. I think that helps me a lot, but. It is, it is not something that is always working for me for sure. Like sometimes, sometimes I just can't focus and I need to take the day off. That's the reality. But, but that, that's a thing yeah. too, though, right? Is like, if you really think of it, and I'll be brief because I don't want to like draw out your one point forever, but I mean, it, it's a thing where just recently, like with, uh, just recently with us, like even you said, like you were like, Matt, like take a fucking week off. And I was like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I, and I, I procrastinated taking the week off and I eventually, cause I wanted to do like a video game week and I was just like, I'm going to choose a game or two and I'm just going to, I'm literally going to play games all day. Like I don't care. And I even like told my girlfriend that I was like, I'm playing games all this week. So like, <laughs> sorry. Um, and she was understanding. She doesn't care. And like, Mike's like, yeah, do it. Like just freaking do it. Cause I had like, I was just so scatterbrained. Couldn't focus on anything. Super burnt out. Hadn't taken a vacation in a long time. Um, COVID was, or COVID is or was raging at the time. I don't remember. Whatever. So I couldn't like travel. Like it wasn't going to do a traditional thing. And it had been a while since I just really had a good sort of like almost like a summer vacation, like a kid where I just play games all day. And so I was like, man, I'm going to do this. And once I did it and the effects are still happening today, but once I did it, it was like, man, like when I came back, it's like, damn, like I could build a site out. <laughs> and I did. And it's like it, it that procrastination wasted so much time. And it's like, me being like, no, no, like, I'll just stay working. I'll just stay working. But I'm working at like 20% of my my capability. I take this vacation for a week. Yeah, sure. I have 0%, 0% productivity for seven days. 
Fair enough. But I'm come back and I'm at like 100%, 90%, 95%. Obviously fluctuates like everything else every day, every single day. But I'm not burnt out anymore. I'm actually building things. I'm doing things. I'm, I'm communicating stuff to people. I'm taking calls without sweating my ass off effectively. Like, you know, sometimes you, you, you really got to find like what allows you to focus and what really allows you to get your job done. Like being away. Sure. Maybe I lost a little bit of my focus practice, but now I'm motivated to focus again. Maybe that's what I needed. And that's exactly what I needed. And I even told Mike, I was like, once a year or once every two years or something, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take a week off and I'm going to be like, screw this. And I'm just going to play like some video games and just hang out with some friends. And that's it. Like, that's going to be my week. Like, this is, I, I don't need the travel. I don't need this. I don't need that. Like, I, I need to have a reboot. And that's something that I learned only through practice. Exactly. And I, it, it works. Honestly, if you're feeling it, you have to take a break. And unfortunately, sometimes it's not an option, but you have to try to make it an option because if you get fully burnt out, that could be, you could be done for months. It could be done for a year. Like burnout is a serious thing. Thankfully, I haven't experienced the extreme sides of it, but I have talked to people that have. And it's important to, it's important to listen to yourself. Like, like, like Matt was saying, he felt like he was at 20% productivity. And it's tough to gauge that yourself, but you'll know it. Like you'll know that, hey, you're not getting tasks done. Stuff's not moving forward. You're just kind of triaging at that point. You're just triaging tasks that are coming in and nothing's really moving forward. So that's when you can kind of understand that, hey, I'm losing focus. I'm losing my will to work. I need to step back. It's important. Now, next skill here, calm under pressure. This is a big one. In a kitchen, especially a busy one, during a dinner rush, you're going to get overloaded. At some point, you're going to hear that chip machine go and it won't stop for like 10 minutes. And everything's already full and you're already working on 15 different things at once. That's the reality. You have to be able to stop your brain from going over, like just exploding because of all the stuff that's coming in. And you need to just focus at the tasks in front of you and get them done and get the next one done and get the next one done and get the next one done and solve this problem and solve that problem. You need to bring yourself back to the point where like you can only do so much. You're a person like you can't do everything. Do the tasks in front of you. And as soon as you start getting one done and the other one done, and the other one done, it starts to get more manageable. And a couple hours later, you know, you all of a sudden you've got a clear kitchen. That's what it was like on the line. How that helps me in a developer is the kind of the same situation. So it could be multiple things. Sometimes you do get overloaded with your tasks that you're, that you're assigned, right? So you look at your Kanban board and all of a sudden you have 10 tasks on your Kanban board. And a lot of times what, what that'll do is it'll cause you to freeze because you're like, what task do I work on? Like everything is due. What task do I work on? And the reality is, is that you just have to prioritize and do one task at a time. And if you, are calm under pressure, which the pressure of multiple tasks can give you. That's what's going to help you here. Just focus, calm under pressure, focus on one task at a time. As soon as you finish that task or you get blocked by something, move on to another task and just go through it. If stuff is piling up and you know you're going to not hit the deadlines, talk to people about that. Inform them, that, hey, I've got these tasks. I'm not going to be able to hit your deadline. Don't be worried about the, the ramifications of that. They will happen anyway. If you don't say anything, it's going to happen anyway. That's just the reality. So again, focusing, doing one task at a time, it can help with that. And that's something that I 100% learned from the kitchen. 
The other stuff when it helps is during like when a deployment fails at 1 a.m. and you have to go and troubleshoot why it failed and then bring production back up. Again, if you if you start panicking during that time, it's something that could rabbit that could um, that could snowball into something really bad, like you taking down all the sites or whatever, or you just not being able to solve it and staying up till 10 a.m. The reality is, is that you have to, again, break it down one thing at a time. Start troubleshooting. Start calmly troubleshooting. Okay, this didn't work. This didn't work. This didn't work. Okay, that's fine. Okay, who do I contact? Contact this person, this person, this person. Can I roll back? Try rolling back this and this. Like, just break it down again, calmly. And that has helped me a ton during these situations. And trust me, if you can be that calm head during the disaster, people are going to come back to you. People are going to... Tell, talk about you in a different way in the company or as a client. Clients will 100% come back and refer you because it's a really important skill that's not easy, easily learned. A lot of, a lot of the time I've seen, I've seen people, I've seen developers just start panicking. They're just like, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing here? It's like, okay, it's down. Okay, that's fine. That's just the reality. Now we just have to go one thing at a time. I have something definitely to add to this one because I'm a definitely a high anxiety person. I freak out about everything. And, uh, I mean, that's just the way it is. But one thing I, I learn, have been learning getting better at is I really is take a look at what the consequences sometimes. If I, if I'm thinking, Oh my God, you know, like I'm not going to reach this deadline. I'm not going to get this project done or, you know, this person that wants this site up and it's having trouble. It's not going to be up today because it's going to take 30 hours and. And so it's not going to happen today because I'm one person. Um, think about the the consequence of the the absolute worst case consequence. I mean, they'll fire you. Okay, bye. Uh, they will. What are they going to do? You know, um, I I certainly hope it's a professional. It's a professional consequence. You're not getting beat up. That's really bad. You know, like obviously. But in my in our cases, it's like, what are we going to get? An angry phone call where someone's like, "Come on, you don't know what you're doing." It's like, oh, okay, then call like your friend. Um, like. I'm there for customer service and I'm there to help people. It doesn't sound like I am when I say stuff like that. I'm there for customer service. I'm there to help people. But there does come a point where sometimes something isn't even a mistake. It's just something's gone wrong. Welcome to things that exist that, that are man-made, you know, that we humans have created. Like welcome, welcome to creating things that are imperfect. Um, and if somebody is just absolutely freaking out, I just think about the consequence. Is that consequence going to be me getting fired or something? Like, sure, that's real bad, but I'm not going to suddenly like explode. Um, I'm not going to get tortured. Uh, that's it. Like, I'm going to do what I can and then that's it. And if it, we, we've had clients where I've literally said, like, I'm going to pull this, like, like we have a contract pending. We have a contract with them actively and then a contract pending. Something goes wrong. Just, just like something goes wrong. And like we've been contacted and been like, if you don't get this sorted quickly, you know, this is a disgrace. This is that you don't know what you're doing. And I'm pulling the other contract and I freaked out about that. And then it's just like, do I really want that other contract? Like and also like, what's this guy going to do? Like yell and scream and then leave. I haven't done anything incorrect. It's not like I've done anything wrong. It's something's gone wrong and I you have to go in and fix it. It's almost like sometimes you need to replace light bulbs because light bulbs break. (laughs) It's like, it's something so like, cause that's, that's the number one pressure point for me usually is someone's absolutely freaking out cause something's down or something's wrong. And it's like, things break down. You, the person that's yelling 
exist in a life where you have a house, a car, and all the rest of it. You got mechanics and contractors working on your house, or you're doing it as a as a handy person, whatever, in your house, fixing the plumbing, doing this and that. And then you think that uh, my website is not gonna not gonna you know break, or like you think that websites are gonna run for forty years? Let's calm it down. And and the thing is, is like if they go to call a contractor and the contractor isn't in the office because they're in they're at they're in uh, you know whatever some other country on vacation, they're out of town. I mean, does that person freak the hell out on that developer? Maybe, and that developer or that contractor, sorry, probably doesn't care. The the instantaneity and the twenty four seven nature of tech lends itself to people being high strung, being really anxious about stuff, going crazy. That's not why I'm high strung. I'm just like this. I've always been like this. But really, just think about that consequence. Oh, I'm going to get fired or like, oh, like this person's going to be mad. It's like, then you're going to be mad. The number one and like, and I'm serious for me, the number one uh, life changing thing that has happened to me during COVID was I just realized that I didn't care if the other person was mad, certainly I'm not going to be there like pissing my other friends off and stuff like this. But if something happens where like my car breaks down and I'm the person supposed to be driving and it like it just it just happened. It's not like I neglected the maintenance. It just my car doesn't work. And that person's furious. It's like, well, I guess you're mad then. What am I supposed to do? Buy another car in 30 seconds and drive you out there? What am I supposed to do? Replace your website in 45 seconds? Sorry, things go down. Sorry, there are problems. And so as one of the biggest pressure points, technical incidents that cause that caused this pressure, that caused this problem, just think about that consequence. And it's probably not that bad. And then just do the then just do the work. You've been working the whole time there. Just do the work. Do it quickly, do it expediently, do it the best you can. But focusing on me trying to keep myself calm just doesn't help me. Me thinking about like, eh, like I'm just going to solve this. And then that's it. It helps me a lot. I say it ain't perfect. I definitely still freak out, but it does help me. Yeah, it's it's honest. Again, like all these other ones, it's a practice skill. It's one of those things where you have to just be in those situations many times or force yourself to force yourself into those situations many times when you can realize that like no matter what. So we're not astronauts. I'm not saying that anything to do with web development has anything to do with astronauts, but something that I kind of I was obsessed with for a little bit is like the Apollo missions for a while. They went into space. They had many situations, like tons and tons of situations where their consequences were 100 percent death. Right. When they had situations that would arise that would result in any, you know, anything that they were if they were to panic done. The like only way the craft manually. <laughs> well, like whenever something went wrong, like that whole situation with the craft, like when when uh, it went into a spin, right. When it was trying to dock. Mm. I can't remember. I think that was Apollo 11. Right. It went into a, it went into a spin. It was trying to dock and they had to kind of spin it in a way that. uh that would sync with the other one spinning so that they could dock normally. So that whole situation, if like one millimeter or one centimeter off, they would have been done. It would have crashed into it. So like problems arise during space missions. Those situations are screwed up. Like that's crazy stuff. But the way that they learn to get through that is literally with practice, like on the ground, safe practice, 
they would be thrown into situations during safe practice where it, everything went wrong and they would have to go through and solve things one at a time calmly to be able to get out of that situation. So again, they learn that skill. It's not something that's inherently built into us to just be calm under situations where we could explode. Obviously, we're not in those situations as web developers, but I'm just saying that I even, if, hope not. even if the worst case scenario is exploding, the reality is, is that the um, panicking isn't going to make anything better. So it's important to like, again, if you're, if you have trouble with being panicking during terrible situations, just know that you can build up that skill for everyone out there, right? Like it's not something that comes, comes naturally for sure. Some people maybe is better than others, but even them, even that, like when, when shit goes down, when shit goes wrong, like you need to be able to stop, stop your brain from exploding and going step by step. All right. Next thing here is taking criticism uh, in a kitchen. And this is the last thing, by the way, in the kitchen, uh, a lot of what you're going to be doing early on, you're going to get not yell or sometimes yelled at, but a lot of times criticized on because it's probably going to be wrong. So you're going to cook that meat too much. You're going to cook those fries too little, like they're not crunchy. You're going to make this wrong. You're going to make that wrong. That's part of it. That's built into the process. As you're cooking, you're getting constant criticism from your other cooks, from your managers, from the from the um, the actual uh, diners at the restaurant. You're going to be constantly bombarded with adjustments that you have to make with, you know, you lost focus and you made this too long or whatever. You need to be able to take that criticism and A, know when to use it. Like sometimes the criticism is wrong, so you need to just throw it out. And sometimes when the criticism is coming at you constructively, you can take that and make yourself a better cook. And that's going to happen every shift, almost regardless of how experienced you are. Something's going to go wrong. Some little thing's going to happen. You need to be able to take that criticism and adjust. In the workforce, like in development, it doesn't happen that that much. Like you're not going to have criticism coming in at a ridiculous pace. But for sure, for instance, code reviews are all about criticism. And it's not only about receiving it, it's also about giving it. It's something that I'm not great at and I'm still trying to improve on is providing constructive criticism during code reviews in the way that the person can adjust and get better and not trying to bring them down, right? So it's, it's this kind of line that you have to play because some people can take more blunt criticism. Some people can take, uh, need a little bit more um, kind of like the po the positivity sandwich approach where like, hey, I really like this. This needs to be worked on. I really like this. Like th there's different techniques you can use for it and everyone is different. So you need to be able to adjust to them. So again, I did the same thing in the kitchen where I knew that someone just really was bad at taking criticism. I would do it in a con more constructive approach, right? I would try it in a different way and I would try to get the best out of them as I possibly could because that's in reality, if they don't do this right, it's going to affect all of us. So it's the same approach that I take in development where I try to give criticism and take criticism in the best possible way. The criticism thing is is huge because a lot of people, including myself, will get really animated sometimes if someone is if someone to me is giving me criticism that is real criticism. 
and is actually constructive, it's one thing. But it's another thing when even a little bit, they seem to be condescending or really annoying or when it is constructive, but it's ridiculous. Like, hey, you know, if you were better at this, <laughs> then it would be better. It's like, wow, it's almost like practice makes you better at things like like. The instant I have like a sarcastic remark back, like that level of criticism is done. Now I realize that's not very constructive saying if you were better, but there are people out there that will ask you or will criticize you and say, you know, if you could just do this and it's something that a dev, um, like that is like right on the cutting edge and it's like something that's like super difficult and you try to explain it to them and be like, Hey man, like that's really cutting edge. It's well above me you know, Google's struggling to do that or something. They'll just be like, eh, like I didn't ask that, you know, uh, you know, if, if you could just have zero, zero downtime, you know, it'd be way better. It's like, oh, that's nice. YouTube doesn't have that. So how would you like me to do that? Um, so like when the criticism is legit, like obviously zero downtime would be amazing, but like is completely out of scale. I consider that not really constructive anymore and like really annoying. And so with, Whenever it gets to that condescending or whenever it gets ridiculous, like I, I almost like it's really hard for me not to snap back. And I have snapped back a couple of times, not too seriously, but sometimes it's just like with a client. I'm just like, man, I, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Sorry. And if they push, it's just like. Can we talk about something else or I'm going to end the call? Like <laughs> it comes a point when it's like, OK, this is getting ridiculous. I'll give you an example of one where. We we've gotten and Mike has uh, Mike's heard this story a million times where we're in uh, the middle of a design process. We're building out a site. Everything's everything's just, you know, going away. And this guy that wants the site done is being very particular. That's fine. And so it's, you know, I'm constantly taking criticism, but like constructively, like, hey, you know, we should move that left. You should move that right. This and that. Hey, you know, I don't like how you've made these headings here. Okay. That's all fine. I'm not going to yell at you about that. Great. That's perfect. But then it came to this point where I sent them an email and one of the feedback and it was, hey, like my email isn't working. And I'm like, oh, well, sorry. Like, I don't deal with your email. Uh, it's not running through this domain. It's running through another company. And he's like, oh, I didn't ask you that. You know, this is your struggle. And like, I'm sick of people uh, deflecting is effectively what he said. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And I'm like, well, I don't know. You'd have to call your IT department. It's like, I didn't ask you that. Like, I'm not calling another department. I'm sick of people deflecting. I'm not calling anyone else. This is your struggle. You need to do it. And I ended up going into their junk folder. My email was going into their junk folder and they didn't sync their junk folders, probably based on the IT policy to their desktop apps. And so I said, oh, like you can log in on the online portal and get it, or I can send it to your personal, or I can send it to this other person who doesn't seem to be going in there. And the one person ended up going into the web portal, getting it, and it said, oh, like, um, you know, when he clicked on junk, he was just like reading it aloud. It says something like about scammers. And the one person told me, he's like, are you the scammer then? And I was like, I just stopped talking at that point. And it was like, okay, like this is getting to the point where it's like, I'm being called out to do IT. You know, I'm not, I'm not their IT department. I'm being told, like, you know, you don't know what you're doing effectively. It's kind of getting a little heated. This is a professional environment. Like, I'm not going to, like, snap back and be like, F you, you're an idiot and, like, all this. I just stop and be like, okay, are we going to proceed with the design changes or am I a scammer and do you want to find someone else? And immediately the the, the tone changes, like, "Uh uh-oh. And then it's like, okay, okay, everyone calm down. Let's do this. Let's do this call. And so the reason why I I bring something up like this is that, you know, taking criticism is absolutely important. 
being able to go through that design process in that normal way where I'm going through the design and I'm going through, going through, going through and taking criticism each step, of course, and be like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, that should be bigger. Hey, that should be on the left. Yep, let's do that. And having some having some contention there where I'm like, no, man, that should not be on the left. Stuff like that. Criticism both ways. Take criticism. That criticism, you can't be too open, not too open, you know, be open. But it's got to be like, hey, hang on a second. This is starting to get a little disrespectful or, hey, this is starting to get a little out of control. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not your IT. I'm not hired to your IT. I'm not being, I'm not being called out as a scammer. If I'm a scammer, then get rid of me. Um, and I just shut it down right then and there. Didn't have to swear. Didn't have to do anything. Just the silence and the tone completely corrected it. And so I just want to bring that up because yes, absolutely take your criticism and take criticism in everything from web development to whatever, because it's how you're going to get better. It's how you're going to learn how other people do things, which may be better or worse, but it could you could even give you ideas to be better uh, in your own way. But just watch that line because some people are too open to it and some people know that and they'll dig right in there and just try to like rattle your cage. And I just I'm not there for it. That is another really key skill that you have to learn as well. I think you you kind of nailed it where like you need to be able to know when the criticism that you're receiving is wrong and just init- and just too much. And you need to be able to stop it as well. I think that's something that is very hard to do for some people where they can draw a line and be like, hey, this is you've gone too far. Don't talk to me that way. I don't want I like or or just, you know, kind of disconnect from from the conversation if you don't want to say anything you don't want to say and take it to chat, take it to email so that you can have a, a paper trail. It's important to establish boundaries in these kinds of situations. So a lot of the times, again, back to the kitchen, there would be some people that would yell, like they would just yell at each other or yell at uh, yell at other people. And if you didn't respond in a stern way to that, they would continue to do that. That's the reality. The kitchen is a little bit of a different environment, I want to say, than a typical web development studio. I'd also um, hope, yes. I'd hope, I, yes. I'd hope it's different. Yeah, it's, it is a little bit Give different environment. So yelling, yelling was a, a lot more accepted, I guess. And sometimes the yelling was just to elevate your voice so that other people can hear. That's fine. And sometimes it was the condescending kind of yelling, which was not fine. And sometimes I would get into certain situations where I would have to draw the line and be like, listen, I'm not going to respond to that, period. Tell me in a better way. And that's okay. And I do the same thing in, in web development with teams that are toxic, like or people that are toxic, I should say. There's some people that will try to establish dominance for whatever reason, like why, I don't know. And those, I've learned to shut that down immediately too. Like it's not something that I, "Mm, I'm going to think about this for a sec. No, if it happens and I, and it's a condescending way of talking, of, of talking to me, I will immediately bring in HR. I will immediately bring in, bring in the management. I will immediately take it to the next level because I'm not going to tolerate it. And it, it, there's no reason for it. You know what I mean? Like this is, we're not doing mission critical systems. We're not, we're not trying to undermine each other. There's nothing, there's nothing there to, to need this kind of communication. So I, I draw very, very strict lines in that. And I've only had to do that like, maybe twice over the last nine years. So it's not, it's not an actual problem in the industry, I would say. I'm sure other people have had to do it more often or wanted to do it more often, but luckily I've, I've only had to do it twice. It's not a big deal. 
Generally, it's it's when the job itself is stressful, I find, because people start getting to the point where they're fed up with the job. And then it just comes down to like, hey, you know, if you were better, if you were better skilled, this wouldn't have happened. And I'm like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. I ain't going to get better anytime soon. And just and then like, see, that starts the argument. And then it's just like, well, you're an idiot. Well, you're an idiot. And then it it starts getting to be, you know what I mean? It starts like going out of control. So like being able to. You're 100 percent right. Like it's another skill to be able to be like, I'm going to like ride this line. I'm going to shut it down, you know, at a certain point, be be constructive in the shutdown and be like, hey, I'm not going to reply to stuff like that. So you can knock it off or like buzz off um, type of thing. And once that's done, like it's done. You know, you're not you're not saying like you F an idiot. You did this and that. It isn't it doesn't get down to that. It becomes like a civil shutdown where it's like everyone's like, oh, this is getting a little bit heated. But then you just it's like, I'm not going to continue this. I'm not going to be like the guy that's like, you're an idiot. Well, no, you're an idiot. That gets <laughs> like that's an unpracticed version of the skill. Let's say that. Um, but I think I think that I think that concludes the episode. Really, uh, we've covered a whole bunch of skills. We've covered a bunch of stuff. Mike's poorly written skills in my minimal yet. Very well written skills. So anyway, if you uh, <laughs> if you uh, want to support the show and support episodes like this, uh, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Chris from Self-Made Web Designer on selfmadewebdesigner.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. DL Ford from dlford.io. Bib Hashdash, NineBlockMedia, NineBlockMedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. And Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform that you are listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off you've been listening to html all the things podcast web development web design and small business we hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show and we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings and we hope you had some fun we'll be back soon but in the meantime hit us up on social media on facebook instagram and patreon at html all the things and on twitter at html everything until next time this is html all the things Signing off.